And uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to begin a new series. And in this new series that we're talking about, we're going to be talking about neighboring. And we're going to be talking about how that God works through us to reach out to our neighbors. You know, it's amazing that we get to do all this, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. Does it ever just blow your mind that we get to come together every week and come from the places that God has scattered us abroad, from all different backgrounds, come back, come together, sing praises like we are. We get to say that we're not basing our lives and our hopes on our best efforts, on our own strength, but we've got a faithful God, and He's brought us back together again this morning. We come together under the banner of His love for us, under His peace for us, under His incredible gift. So this morning, we're going to begin a new series of lessons, a new teaching series. This one is called Love Where You Live, Getting Better at What Jesus Said Matters the Most. We're going to be looking at what Jesus said matters the most. And, and really, what incredible it is, how incredible it is for us this morning, it, 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 the, is the, the way that God works to kind of weave together these gatherings. Now, we've just sung about and experienced and kind of drank deeply from this gift of peace. We call it communion. And now from that place of peace with God, God has an inclination for us. And that inclination for us is that we gather together, we worship Him like we are this morning, we gather together in the love of God, and then He sends us out. And what's interesting in the church world is that these two things can often feel like a, a dichotomy. There is two different groups that meet in the normal congregation of the church. Because you've got this group of people that love the idea of church. About us getting together like we are here today. And we know about this idea of not forsaking the assembling on the first day of the week. We gather with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. And we're here to, to just, you know, we shared about the communion. And, and we're all about truth and worship. And it's about knowledge. And it's about growing. And all this is true, by the way. All those things are important. But then we've got this other group of kind of radical side of the church. Sometimes they're called, uh, a lot of them are the, the, this new generation that just believes that Jesus is all about breaking the yoke of oppression. Freeing us from all the different things that we have. About serving, about feeding, about caring for. And I'm going to tell you, the younger generation, that's what they're about. They, they're not so much about all the, uh, the church things of gathering together. They say, you know, I, I want to get out and do what Jesus has said to do. And sometimes in our human mind, those things can feel like opposites or like they're opposed to each other. I, I, there's a, a movement in the brotherhood, for instance, that says, you know, oh, give me Jesus, but leave off the church. Uh, you know, I, I want Jesus. I want to know what Jesus had to say about everything. Of course, bless their hearts, they, you know, they've missed a little bit of it because, you know, the whole New Testament is what Jesus desires. He told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody and teach them those things which I've commanded you. Well, the epistles are those things which he had commanded them. But they want to leave off. They just want the, you know, give me the gospels and give me Jesus. Leave off the church. But that's kind of crazy, you know. You know, if I were to say, Jimmy... You know, tell me, tell me about Sally. 
and, and get him up here. And I said, Jimmy, come up here and tell me about Sally. And, and Jimmy would get up here. And Jimmy's, you know, Jimmy's not, he's not the sharpest tool in the box, but he's smart enough to know he's not going to say nothing bad about Sally. Isn't that right? <laughs> he's going to get up here and he tell you what a wonderful wife he's got. And he'll tell you that, that, you know, that he's where he is today because of her, if he's a smart man. And he would, wouldn't you, Jimmy? But now, Jimmy, is Sally perfect? Come up here and tell us all the bad things you know about her. Would you be willing to do that this morning? Again, he's smarter than he looks, I'm telling you. <laughs> he knows better. He knows that. Well, let me tell you something. I believe it's that way with the church. You know, the church, if someone were to ask you about the church, man, there's all kinds of good things you could say about the church. This wonderful group of believers. But on the other hand, if you say, is there some things you don't like about the church? Absolutely. There's some people in here. Yeah, we got some grouchy, you know, there's a couple of grouchy people in this congregation. There's a, there's a couple of people, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that I don't like. We, maybe we're not doing everything that we need to be doing the way we need to be doing it. We're certainly not reaching out the community as good as I would like to see us do. But, but you know what? If I were talking to somebody about the church, I would need to emphasize those positive things. Just like you ought to do with your wife. You know, because the church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus gave himself for it. And he died for it. And he said he loved it. Now, did Jesus know that the church was perfect? Absolutely not. But there's this movement in the church that, oh, you know, I, I just not about the church thing. Well, they, I think they've missed the boat on that. But here's what's incredible. In Jesus, those two things are brought into a genuine relationship. Service and worship. The idea of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and with all your strength. And the idea that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves in the same way God loves our neighbors. It's all about Jesus. These two things are intrinsically linked together in the person and in the life of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing in this series that I'm going to be doing as I, I transition out. We're going to be doing for the next four weeks this series on neighboring now this asking god how does this gift of your peace what what you're doing in us and for us how does it translate in how we live in love in in the places god that you have us uniquely planted each of us in our lives and in our neighborhoods and the places where we are now you can think about it this way you know sometimes you know sometimes with our favorite songs all you need is the beginning of that song, and you know what's coming next. Isn't that true? Let, let me give you an example, just some church songs. Now, you can do it with any kind of songs. Here's one. Amazing. Y'all know that song. All I needed was the first word. You know that song. How about this? Just as. Sure you know that. Or how about... On a hill. There you go. You know, there's just some that we know so well that all we had to do was hear just a couple of words of it and we know what follows. Isn't that true? We know those songs. There's a connection between what we, what's being sung and said and the lyrics that come next. That's what God wants to commit 
in our minds when we come to understanding what it means to receive His peace. And what it means to be sent on a mission with Him and for Him. That's how Jesus thinks about those two things. That He gives us His peace. He gives us His love. He shows us His grace. But it's always for a purpose. And the purpose we're going to see in the Scriptures is so that we can join Him in a work. That us coming together and finding about the, about the love of God, if we don't take it to the next level, if we don't understand the next verse, the next words that follow this first verse, then we're not really getting the song that Jesus is trying to sing to us. And so we join Him in the work that He's doing. We get sent out by Him. We cooperate with God. As a matter of fact, in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about us being co-laborers with Christ. And that's who we are. We conspire with God. We carry in our hearts and our lives, our words and our actions, the very love of God to a thirsty and hungry world that's around us. Now let's take a look. Let's take a look at John chapter 20. There's a, a scripture that I want us to get that kind of will set us in the right direction for this series that we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. Verse 19, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together. Now, this is when Jesus had come back from the dead by the power of God. When the disciples were together, they were together, but they were together behind locked doors because uh, uh, they, they, they feared the Jews. You see, they didn't, they hadn't gotten this neighboring series yet. So they're locked behind doors. They're afraid of their neighbors. They, they've got the doors locked. They're worried about their neighbors. Suddenly Jesus is standing in the amongst of them. There Jesus is. And he says, he says, and when the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Their words had fallen apart. Their world had fallen apart. And what God was doing was Jesus is coming. He's trying to put it back together for them. He's seeing and setting things right. Peace with God. Now, we know that came with God's forgiveness as He forgave every human being that put their faith in the resurrection Son that, that are born again. So Jesus is coming saying, I'm putting a period to the end of that statement, the cross. Because now the cross has purchased something for you. And what the cross has purchased is God's peace over your life. And so He came and He said, My peace I want you to experience. After he said this, he shows them his hands and his, his side. And he's saying, I, I, I'm really, guys, I, I'm the same guy that left you just a few days ago. I am that guy. And they were filled with joy. They saw the Lord. And you would have been too. And then again, he says, peace be with you. So he's like, in the case you didn't get the lyrics the first time, let me just run it by you one more time. I am speaking Peace over your life. Now straight after that, the next lyric is, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I want you to know I've come. I, I, I'm the guy that came. I've come to bring peace into your life. Now that you have this peace in your life, now I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so he's saying, before I ask you to do, or before I ask you to go, 
Do anything for me before I ask you to try to love your neighbor, pray for your neighbor, have your neighbor over, engage in the life of your neighbors, carry the gospel. Before I ask you to do anything of these things, I want you to experience my forgiveness. I want you to peace have the peace that comes from obedience to the gospel. I want you this morning to open yourself up to my strength. That's what our worship service is for. I want you right now, if you carry burdens into this room, to realize that there's one who's greater and there is one who's stronger than your burdens that wants to shoulder those for you, to bear your burdens, to realize that no matter how far down the road of regret or disappointment that you find yourself in today, that it's never too late to grab hold of the grace of God. He is in the business of bringing dead things back to life again. And so, no matter where we stand today, if we open ourselves and say, God, I'll receive your peace today, we get qualified for the mission and the the sentness that God has in our lives. That's what qualifies us for that. And when God, Jesus gives that statement of, oh, of, you know, I want to send you, what he's specifically saying is, I want some purpose to give focus for your life. I want there to be a purpose that gives focus for your life. And what that purpose is, it's that you're to carry the love of God to the people that you're going to be living around. That you're to go and be the kind of neighbor that you need to be. And we think about this like Jesus was, uh, you know, you think about Jesus was a phenomenally good neighbor. He moved really far to come close to every one of us to be our neighbor. In the Gospel of John... Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message version puts it this way. The word, by the way, it's, it's the, the, the scripture that you just read this morning in our scripture reading uh, before we started services in John chapter 1. He, he, he says it this way, though, in the, in the message translation. The word Jesus became flesh and blood. And then it says, and he moved into the neighborhood. Other versions say he tabernacled among us. Saying that God's presence basically came near. When Jesus came, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, and the Word was with us. Because all through the story of God, that's the way people knew of God's presence was near. They would set up a tabernacle. And so, in John, he says he tabernacled with us. They would set up this tabernacle, and the literal presence of God would come visit them in that tabernacle. And it was always a specific time and in a specific place. And now in Christ, what happened in that God's presence isn't contained in a building or a temple or a sacrifice or a system. But it moves through the whole world, through His people, through the church. And Jesus is saying, I want to send you out like the Father sent me. Which means... You're being sent in the power and the authority of heaven into your neighborhoods to carry it to the place of love and kindness and grace of our God. So I'm sending you, Jesus says. That's what he sent me for. I'm sending you now. Because if you want to gather an army of pessimists, you don't have to look very far. Just turn on the TV. Just talk about the state of America right now. And we could all join in on, on that pessimistic t- tone. But not just America. But there's so much talk about decline. You know, how about the decline in the church? And it's true. 
70% of Americans right now identify some way with Christianity. And it used to be a whole lot higher than that. 70%. And what's crazy about this is, if you start looking at some of our other surveys, some other statistical research, it indicates that the very at the very same time, our country is expressing a deep spiritual hunger. And I've said this for a long time. I, I believe that's true. So, less people are churchgoers. But more people are identifying as having a spiritual hunger in their lives. That says to us, that says to me, that we are in days of great opportunities for the church if we will just understand that. Because when you get underneath what they're really asking for, they're looking for two things specifically. Number one, they're looking for something to worship. And they're looking for a cause greater than themselves to give their life towards. I've said when you look over the past couple of years with all the demonstrations and, and everybody getting on all these different bandwagons and all, I'll tell you why they're jumping on all the bandwagons is because they're looking to identify with some cause greater than themselves. That's it. And whatever that cause may be, and it doesn't take many. I mean, man, you know, you, you, there's a cause for everything. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, you, you just name it. There's a cause for it. Somebody's started a cause for it. Why? Because somebody wants to identify with something. Our young people today need a cause greater than themselves. And we need to be the one who points them in the right direction. And then think about this. If, if we obeyed the greatest thing Jesus told us to do, We've got a billboard of what the world is actually asking for. Because what Jesus asked us to do is love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's worship. That's singing the songs. That's taking the communion. But it's a whole lot more than just an hour here. It's in every aspect, in every facet of your life, choosing to spiritually amplify the glory of God because of who we are and how we live. And secondly, he says it's loving your neighbor as yourself. Whether that's the person who lives six feet away from us, the desk next to us at school, or the person across the world, whoever we would choose to love, that's the cause that's bigger than any one single person, any one church, any one country or nation. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor yourself. Those are the greatest things. And so I think sometimes we are standing right on the verge of a spiritual revival, an awakening in our country. If we as a people of God would actually start to do the things that God called on us to do. And become the living portraits for people of what the kingdom of heaven is really like. I mentioned earlier about talking about the church. Talking about your wife or your church. Well, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. Let me tell you something. When you talk about the church, it ought to be the closest thing to heaven that you can describe to somebody. Because it is. The closest thing that you could come up with to heaven ought to be the church. Because people in our generation, they're not looking for another lecture. They're not looking for a better lecture. They are looking for a living picture of what, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And I said the younger generation are wanting a cause. They want to see not just us sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. But they want to see it lived out in our lives and how we treat the people around us. And we get, when we get this serious about this idea of obeying Jesus, following Him as, as we love God and we love our neighbors ourselves, we become the light of the world, just like Jesus said we would become. And we get to carry His love and His grace to people around us. Now let's take a look at, at Mark chapter 12. That's where Jesus unpacks for us a little bit of uh, uh, more of this idea of the greatest thing that we can do, this thing that matters the most. Let's, let's take a look at that. Look, uh, in, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 12, 28, they, they were listening to a debate. A group had been sent, really they'd been sent there to try to trap Jesus. They're all bringing Jesus their personal agendas and, and think that they, you know, they're going to catch him in the moment. And they get started with this whole idea of how do we obey Jesus? And, and is that their intent was to, actually was not to obey Jesus, but their intent was to, to bring their own agenda to bear on Jesus. And I think about that in our own current world. And I think about the fact that we would be much better off letting Jesus shape our conversation. Instead of starting off where I've got into my own agenda, and I'm hoping that Jesus speaks into my agenda, starting off with Jesus, what do you want me to say today? Jesus, where are you moving me today? Jesus, what's the story you're writing today? Jesus, where do you want me to fit in today? There's your beginning points. And then he goes on, realizing that Jesus had given them all the good answers. The teacher of the religious law asks Jesus, of all the commandments, all 613, that includes 365 negative commandments and 248 positive commandments, out of all of those, Jesus, which one is the most important? That was the question he asks. Jesus grabs on that part of what the teacher of the law would have known, the Shema. You know, faithful Jews would would quote the Shema every single day. They knew the Shema. And he says, he says, let's hear. He says, listen, O Israel. The Lord your God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus quotes the Shema. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus ties ties these together and says, You can't love God if you are not willing to love your neighbor. And so the story goes on. The guy says, well said, good teacher. Now, Jesus must have been thinking, well, thank you very much. You know, I, I, you know, I know what I'm talking about here. He says to Jesus, you have spoken the truth. By saying there is only one God and no other. 
And I know it's important to love Him with all my heart and with all my understanding, with all my strength, and to love my neighbors myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifice required of the law. This guy's saying, Jesus, you are so right. Now that's a big statement of a, from a teacher of the law. He's saying this life, this way, is more essential. It is, it gets God's attention more than all the religious activity you could ever do. If you would get this one down, it doesn't matter how many times you've shown up to services. It doesn't matter how much you've given in the contribution. It doesn't matter how many songs you've sung or how many times you've taken the Lord's Supper or how you've, you've made it through every sermon that's ever been preached. This is what's important. And so Jesus responds, realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now they had gotten there to try to trap him. Jesus answers it, and he answers it so big that they say, Oh, man, I'm not even going to ask him anything else. He has pretty well nailed it all down, and he has, he has, he has put it down where the, 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 the rubber meets the road. I mean, it's there. And if I'm that guy, I'm thinking, Boy, I'm going to get a well done, now, good and faithful servant. If I was the guy that was answering Jesus' as teacher, and he tells me, Buddy, you are so right, and you know, I've told you that's right and all this. I'm sure he's waiting to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Great words of encouragement for Jesus. You found the path, my friend. You're on the narrow road. You have, you have located the gate. You are in the kingdom of God. But what Jesus says to him is a surprise. What goes on there? What I think Jesus was saying, and I think this is equally true for us today, there is a gap. A huge gap between loving ideas and following Jesus. And actually following Jesus. There's a major difference between being enamored with ideas and thoughts about God, of being able to answer the church membership questionnaire perfectly, and maybe being able to say amen at the, at, at, at the right spots during the sermon, or being able to impress the Bible study with lots of theologically correct answers and thoughts. You know, I, I know a lot of these guys that what I would call on the other end of the spectrum there, they're, they're, oh, they're, they're all about talking about Jesus. And I, I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, I have experienced both sides of the spectrum in the church, the, the ultra-conservative. I mean, I went to Memphis School of Preaching. And... The other side, when we were in, uh, I'll never forget sitting in a worship service in, uh, in, in Moscow, Russia. And boy, Moscow was hot during that time. Everybody and their brother was over there. And we had sitting in our services what I would consider both extremes in the church. There was the largest church of Christ in the world. The preacher from there and a, a delegation from them was there. And Tennessee Bible College were there. Both on the same day. And uh, it was interesting. Because both of them thought we were in cahoots with the other. Both of them thought we were doing this. And, and uh, it, you know, and it, it was it was really interesting. Matter of fact, me and the, the other preacher that were there, we just began to laugh. Because they were so judging. 
You know, even though the one side says you shouldn't, the other side says you shouldn't. But they, but anyway, we finally got over with. I told him, I said, you know, after I talked to her, come on. I said, they're not 10 cents worth of difference between either one of y'all. Y'all do a lot of religious talk. But how are you changing the world? And I hear, hear both sides. But now I'm hearing a lot from this other side of the Jesus only kind of movement and everything. And I hear them talk about all these theologically, and they'll quote these, these great theologians and all these different things. And, and I want to, and I want to say, well, but what are you doing? How are you changing the world around you? How are you putting into practice those things that you are so espousing and trying to make everybody feel guilty about? What kind of neighbor are you? And so, what Jesus says to him is a surprise. And, and again, there's a, there's a major difference between these ideas and all these. Doing those things. And a difference between that and actually following Jesus in how we live. And how we make our decisions. And the mindsets that we choose. And the prayers that we pray. The love that we give. There's a gap between those two things. And what Jesus is saying, you're off to a good start. You're beginning to intellectually understand the secret of the kingdom of God. You, intellectually, I think you, you're getting there. But you're still standing on the borderline right now. And the only way to step from the borderland to the kingdom of heaven is to trust me. To step in faith. To begin to love the people around you. Walking the narrow road certainly is being obedient to Jesus and what He has revealed to you in your life. And, and we would say it starts for us being obedient to the things that He said matters most. Which is loving God, loving your neighbor. That's the invitation He gives to us. There's all kinds of pitfalls that you know we could be in in keeping the narrow road. We, we lose our sense of urgency for the mission that He's called us for. We often are content to let people, basically other people, take our responsibility. Uh, what I think the problem comes is, is intellectually we understand that we're to do this, but we don't have it here. It's not real here. We don't have the urgency of it. We, 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 we say it vocally, but we don't, have, we don't feel the urgency behind it. We have no idea that people around us, no idea if anyone else will come into their story that has the, the love of God burning in their heart and has a desire to share the love with them and in word and in deed, we have to reclaim that sense of urgency and responsibility in the church. We, we want to put it off on the professionals. I mean, that's what we hired a preacher for. That's what we, you know, the elders are supposed to be the spiritual lead. Let me tell you something, the responsibility to love God is yours. And the responsibility to love your neighbor is yours. Don't try to put it off on somebody else. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. There was a group of women who were driving some distance. Uh, I think it was a band, but anyway, uh, maybe maybe halfway they, they broke down on the side of the road. You know, thought a lot of people would just, you know, they thought, well, certainly people will stop and help a group of good-looking women 
they're going to stop and help us. And, and, and it, you know, it, it, and it took a couple of hours. People getting off from work, you know, they thought, well, you know, they'll be here before you know it. People getting off work, coming down the road, they'll see us. They see this, this carload of, of, of women here. They, they, surely someone will stop. You know, they'll get the car going. They'll be running late, you know, snowing. But they were lost. They were off the road. They were embedded in a ditch. She said, it seems like it only took 10 seconds for me to see giant headlights shining in the back of the window. And pretty soon, she said, the, the car was surrounded by, by uh, these flannel-plaid bearded men. Just a group of them. And, and it was an army of flannel-child uh, bearded men, which is a good thing if you're broke down on the side of the road. And and then they heard the hook of a winch and and a hook to the car and it started. The car moved out backwards, pulled out of the ditch. Eventually, she said she rolled down the wind and asked him, "Where did you come from? And how did you find us? And why are you helping us like this?" The guy just calmly looked at her and said, "You know, we're up here at a hunting lodge just up the road here. And if you're trying to go to Telluride, it's not the road." To Telluride. You're way off course. As a matter of fact, the road that you're on is a is a dead-end road. And he said, as we knew, we said, we saw down the road your light. And we knew that if we didn't come and help you, there's no one else that was going to come and find you because uh, on this road tonight because it is a dead-end road. And, and it's going to drop down to, to below zero tonight. And you'd probably die out here. He realized, basically, that it was a life and death situation. They didn't know it. But these guys knew that if we don't come and save these women, they're going to die out there tonight. And what that speaks to us is, is the urgency that Jesus wants us to live with the people around us. A sense that we have no idea if the people we live around, work with, go to school with, do life with, we have no idea if anyone else is ever going to come to their story, into their lives, with the love of God burning in their heart and a desire to share the love with them in word and deed. We don't know if any of our neighbors are going to get any of that. We have no idea. And we have to reclaim that same sense of urgency and responsibility at church and begin to realize that the world has a tremendous need. And that need usually starts on my street. And reclaim the idea that this love, the gospel of God, it has a proclivity to, to want to advance and be shared and spread and heal and redeem. And rescue and restore. And instead of settling, we've got to say, we want to rise up as a people of God. And the people of God of our generation, be a part of the anthem. Football players won't do it. That brings the story of God into our nation so that the cities of this country are lit up with the worship of Jesus again. That's the opportunity. When we say, let's be good neighbors, it's to be part of that story. Where the idea of loving God and loving our neighbors, that idea moves from the head to the heart. 
It gets into our lives, and what it does is it allows people who, who feel like they can never be farther from God to know for certain that there is, that they're on heaven's radar today. Because we tell them. And so, God has created them and given His Son for them and pursue them in love. And a lot of times, that pursue is going to, to look pretty ordinary because it's going to come through people who look like me and you. And it gives the world a chance to know that God has come. And that He's doing what we can't do for ourselves. He brings His kingdom to earth and He brings people into the world to meet every need and hope for that generation. And it is through His church. We need to understand that we need to love where God is. We need to learn the art of neighboring. And we need to learn to put what God put first. And what did he say? The greatest command, if ever come up with any command, any, nothing is greater than this. What? Love God with everything in you. Your heart, your soul, your mind, everything in you. Love God. But it doesn't just stop there. You show your love for God, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. We need to learn the art of neighboring. That's what we're going to do for the rest of this month. That's what our series is going to be about. Today, though, you got to start being a good neighbor. And the only way you're going to be a good neighbor is to be a good Christian. And the only way to be a good Christian is to become a Christian. And so to this morning, if you're not one, our baptistry is fixed. The water is warm. And we're ready for you this morning. If we can help you this morning, maybe you, you need to obey the gospel. You believe in Christ, we'll need to turn for your sins, confess your faith, be baptized for the mission of your sins, be put into Jesus because of the love of God. You will love Him with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. You are Christians. It is time we regain the urgency and the emergency of our time to be putting what Jesus said was most important, most important. And if we can help you do that this morning, maybe you need the prayers of the church. I want to encourage you to come as we stand. We offer the invitation.